0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Alexa Barabee, co founder of Reposit, a travel tech startup that's raised over 13 and a half million in funding. Alexa, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Excited chat. So before we begin talking about what you're building there, can we just begin with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background?
1: Sure, no problem. So I'm Alexa, grew up in New Hampshire. I went to Santa Clara University out in the Bay Area, and then Pretty much since college, I've been working in the the sales kind of tech startup realm. So started my career at a company called Main Street Hub. We did social media management for small local businesses all across the US. Was there for about four or five years, basically in the the entry level 100, 150 cold call game in the beginning and you know, worked my way up to building and running our sales training program, then pivoted into sales management, ultimately was the director of sales of our New York City office. And then I left there to join another startup called Bettery, which was an online hiring marketplace, joined as head of sales there, helped scale that company up from like five people to we probably were like 300-ish by the time we got acquired back in 2018. And that's where I met my co-founder of Reposit Heather and our CTO, Joey, Our head of sales has been with me at Reposit since Main Street Hub and Vetteri, so full circle. But after that acquisition, Heather, my co-founder, and I just kind of looked at each other and said, that was an awesome ride. We feel like we learned a ton and we feel very capable and prepared to go out and do this on our own. And so that's what we did. I don't know if you want me to go into the full kind of story at this point, but that is my background.
0: Yeah. So to zoom in on a few things there, mainly just around sales. What was it about sales that attracted you to it? And did you know early on in life that you wanted to have a career in sales or where did that come from?
1: That's a great question. No, (laughs) to be honest, I never thought I would land in sales. I really like probably not the most inspiring story, but needed a job right out of college. I've always been super competitive and played team sports my whole life. So I think those elements of sales lended itself very well to my personality of wanting to compete and be on top of the, the leaderboards. But I feel like I was on a team that was winning and accomplishing something and seeing my results kind of firsthand there. So I think that's what kept me in it. But I'm honestly kind of stumbled into it after school. I wasn't quite too sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something big, but how I would get there, I wasn't too sure in the beginning.
0: Nice. I appreciate the honesty there. You could have told me that since you were two years old, you always dreamed about sales, but appreciate
1: it. (laughs) I think I had a notebook that said I wanted to be the first woman president of the United States when I was five. So that was where my brain was going. (laughs) And we've landed here. So slightly different, but ambitious nonetheless.
0: Nice. I love it. And the question we like to ask, just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder, what book has had the greatest impact on you? And this can be a business book or it could be a personal book.
1: Yeah, my whole sales team will know this for sure because I am making them read it probably for like the sixth time now. Um, But Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, I think is my favorite business-oriented sales book. Personally, I like like a good murder mystery, but uh, Never Split the Difference is amazing. It's um, by like the number one hostage negotiator, who was part of the FBI for a really long time, and he talks through like real life hostage scenarios and how they used negotiation tactics to save lives, and how you can also apply those to like business and your personal life negotiations. So super interesting, super impactful. Not like a off the shelf boring sales book. I highly recommend it.
0: Nice. Yeah, I think you're the third person now to recommend it. So adding Oops. it to my Amazon list and uh. Once I hear three people recommend it, I take it seriously. So I'll dig into that over the weekend. Good. Yeah, it's awesome. Nice. Now let's uh, let's talk about Reposit there. So can you tell us just about the origin story, and then we can dive a bit deeper into the product?
1: Yeah. So I think we have a pretty interesting founding story. So when Heather and I left Vettery, just for like a little bit of context, her background is really heavy in like finance, product and operations. And then Clearly, as we've been talking, mine is more in the sales and marketing realm. So felt like we just complemented each other's skill sets really well. But when we left Vettery, we just like, wanted to do something really fun and cool. And we ended up launching a business that is definitely not Reposit today, but it did lead us here. So we bought, we raised funding for it. It was called Nowaday. And we bought a whole fleet of cars from the 1920s. So Ford Model A's, Ford Model B's, Chryslers, Buick, Chevys, you name it. We hired these actors all across New York City, kind of dressed them up like they were in that 1920s era. And we provided these like really cool on-demand private experiences for locals and visitors to New York City. And we had mixology classes and it it was a really cool thing. We had Drew Barrymore run our launch party. We started booking kind of off the shelves right away. It was a big hit. Throughout that process, it was like kind of our first time one, stepping away from like B2B SaaS, and then two, stepping into the travel industry, which is totally different than recruiting, HR, or some of these other industries that Heather and I had experience in. And I think just like coming from a tech background, entering that space and operating as an experience provider, partnering with different professional travel planners. It was just super eye-opening to us. The whole industry of like B2B group travel, and I'm talking about like wedding planners, corporate meeting planners, international like group planners, student groups, all of the folks behind planning any of those trips or events are operating their business almost entirely offline today. And we knew that because every time someone wanted to book with us, they were calling us, emailing us, like sending us paper checks, asking us to fax things. It was just really super like outdated and manual. And the way you met these people was spending five, $10,000 to go to a trade show to exchange brochures and shake hands. It just, it felt like we stepped back in time in some way. And we just like, we were really hit in the face with like, whoa, this is a really huge industry. B2B group travel in the U.S. alone is $127 billion dollars. It's 2019 numbers, but we're like spiking back to those this year. It's trending in that direction and it operates almost entirely offline. There's no like, there's no book now for group travel. There's no way to like pull together a large event through one tech platform today. And so after just like really thinking through that and doing a bunch of discovery calls, we essentially like had enough conviction that we wanted to totally pivot our experience company into kind of going back to our B2B SaaS roots and basically building an all-in-one workspace and marketplace to pull together activities, experiences, hotels, menus, restaurants, anything that could be part of a group itinerary and get those folks easily connected with the planners themselves and then give the planners a way to basically run their whole business online instead of operating out of outdated spreadsheets, phone calls, and emails.
0: And why do you think the industry operates that way? And I'm sure you're not the first founder to say, wow, look at this massive market opportunity yeah. here. And You had super ripe for change and disruption. So why has not been so slow to change and embrace technology, do you think?
1: I think it's because groups are like, they're really complicated and hard. It's not, if you think about like all the major technology that exists in the travel sector today, there's a lot of incredible solutions. They're just all geared towards like consumers. So like if you or I want to go on a trip, like you're probably not going through like a, a travel agent. You're going to Expedia. You're going to TripAdvisor. You're going to table or Yelp or any of these things to make your reservations. But when you go to any of those sites and you try to book for 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, it doesn't allow you to do that. You like hit that drop down. usually of somewhere between like eight to 14. And then it says like, call this phone number or fill out this private events form. And when you do that once for one dinner, it's not a huge deal, right? Like if you have to plan a group dinner once, it's a little annoying. But if you put yourself in the shoes of these professional planners who have to book transportation, multiple restaurants, a hotel, like airfare, everything, it becomes super overwhelming to get all of those responses back just like in a notebook or in your email. And I think no one's wanted to tackle the issue because of that. It's like, it's very complicated to tackle group bookings. There's dynamic pricing for everything. So like hotels cost different on a Wednesday in a certain season versus a Saturday in prime season. And same with restaurants. It's like, it's very, very dynamic in that. So it is a very large problem
0: we're trying to solve. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like it. And something that's in-house, do big, huge companies have somewhat in-house that's responsible for this typically? And are you working with them? Or is this working with companies that offer this as a service and you're helping them deliver this service to their customers?
1: Yeah. So we do work with both customer profiles. There's a lot of like internal meeting planners or EAs or office managers who are responsible for planning all the events for their companies. We'll see that more so at large-scale organizations. And then we usually, they'll outsource it when it gets to a certain threshold, though. So like, if you have a president's club for 500 employees, it's typically they're going to hire a third-party planning company to come in and do it at that stage. So we work with those companies as well. I would say that's more of our user base today are going to be like the professional third-party planners. um, But we do have in-house like meeting planners as well for the direct
0: corporate companies. And just to have an idea of what that looks like, how many independent travel planners are there, would you say, in like the U.S. if you just had to guess? Oh, my
1: gosh, thousands. (laughs) There's like there's so many different types of group travel. And to be clear, Reposit services anyone who's who's planning groups. And so Any wedding planner could be a good fit. Any student tour operator could be a good fit. There's tons of people who are responsible for coordinating sports team travel. Corporate travel is massive. And then there's also leisure groups and those can be domestic or international. So we work with a lot of like receptive tour operators who are responsible for bringing groups from other countries into the U.S. And a lot of times that's like a multi-day tour where they're hitting like a lot of the major U.S. cities, whether it's an East Coast or... Or West Coast tours. Those are the groups we're seeing kind of across the board. I'd say we're heaviest in probably corporate. And then those like international groups are, are the two largest components that we see go through the platform today.
0: And do you see that evolving over time? Do you think corporate is always going to be the majority of the market for you, or how do you see that changing?
1: I do. It's funny when we started, we were born in the the middle of COVID. So it's a very interesting time to be building and launching and raising money for a travel tech company. (laughs) But when we started, like things looked a lot different. It was a lot of like domestic leisure groups who are going to national parks, who wanted like glamping experiences, who wanted access to hikes and things where they had a lot of like outdoor space because that's what was on the top of everyone's mind. And then over the past year or two, we've really seen like a huge return to cities. We've seen a huge return of corporate. We've seen international travel come back in a really big way, I'd say, especially over the past like six to eight months. And so it's interesting. We collect all the data of every trip that's going through the platform, everything from budget, number of people, destinations that they're going to, the audience that the trip is being planned for. And so we're able to track all those trends over time too. So it's it's cool to see and it's interesting to see the shift. I don't see corporate ever going away. And I think the international like return has really just started. So I think we'll see a big push of that in the back half of this year as well.
0: And as a travel company raising funds and, and trying to bring this to market during COVID, did you have family and friends and just people you talked to just ask you, you know, what are you thinking? Are, are you crazy right now? Or did, did everyone yeah. get it and, and still see the opportunity?
1: I think I got a lot of crazy looks when we started buying old vintage cars and doing that. And then I think I got a lot of crazy looks as well when we were had bare bones of a, a product in 2020, just trying to raise raise that initial round. I think we had a lot of people who didn't think we could do it. And it felt very good to get that first round under our belt.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And then what's that's that right. go-to-market motion look like? Do you have an enterprise sales team or is it just all product-led?
1: Yeah, we do have a sales team in-house on, on both sides today, but the platform is really by invite only at this stage. And we've been able to create just a really powerful invitation flywheel that's led to like, I would say over 90% of our onboards today. So we have organically about 80 to 100 suppliers sign up with like no marketing or no outbound sales effort from our end. Our sales team steps in after they sign up, basically to walk them through the different like partnership options that we have. And then on the planner side, it's been pretty organic growth on that side too. We're starting to do a little bit more direct outreach But yeah, it's it's like pretty much been this invitation flywheel. And I think the reason it's worked is because the industry and the relationships exist, right? Like the B2B group travel space isn't new. These people have been talking and emailing and calling each other for years. And I think they've really craved an easy solution to be able to track everything in one place, communicate, connect, give each other updates. And so when one like planner comes on, they want to manage their whole vendor database through the Reposit Network. And so one of the first steps in the implementation process is for them to like upload their existing spreadsheet of their vendors. And then if they invite them, those vendors can manage their own profiles, kind of like how on Yelp a restaurant could add their own photos, add their own menus. And if they want to make changes, we see those updates in real time. Reposit operates the same way. So the planners are incentivized to have as many of their suppliers using the system as possible so that they don't have like static profiles that they're responsible for updating and they know they get the most up-to-date information from their vendors and then on the flip side the vendors want to have one place to manage all of their different like b2b partners so they usually will invite their planners they've worked with in the past as well and so that that just really fuels the sales engine so the second someone signs up my team is kind of on it and scheduling like a more formal walkthrough
0: Wow. That makes a lot of sense. You have virality almost built into it then.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> the flywheel
0: is definitely real. Nice. And given your background in sales, was it hard for you to transition away from founder-led sales? Or did you feel okay doing that because you were managing sales teams in the past?
1: I'm totally comfortable Like running and building and scaling sales engines is my bread and butter. And then I've been fortunate enough about in Q4, I was able to bring on like a a VP of sales to kind of help oversee everything who I've worked with across two different organizations now and for like close to 10 years. So I trust the team is in, in good hands on that side now.
0: Nice. And are there any numbers that you can share to highlight some of the growth and traction that you're seeing so far?
1: Yeah. So our vendor database is now, we just had over 12,000 offerings that we have on the platform today across 6,000 locations globally. Uh, We are most heavily weighted in like major US cities. So think like New York, Chicago, Boston, Miami, Vegas, San Francisco, LA, those types of things. Those were our first markets to launch and are definitely still our bread and butter. And then on the planner side, we have new ones signing up every day as well. I think we're over like 3,000 unique users on that side. And think about it for each professional planner we work with, they have multiple clients and they're planning multiple events every month. I would say like on average, a medium professional travel planning company is quoting for like 60 to 100 groups a month. And so they can put through really serious volume, which is why we started with the strategy of going after like these third party professional B2B planners that do volume versus a lot of people asked us in the beginning, like investors included, why not go after corporate first? It's just the volume is so much lower when you're going direct to corporate versus through the third parties. Interesting.
0: No, I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what do you attribute to that success outside of the flywheel? You know, What's the secret there? How are you able to grow so fast?
1: I mean, I think we've been through a few successful companies where we had incredible mentors and we really had like a front row seat to see how it's done. And veterinary was a different industry, but it was a hiring marketplace. And so I think Heather and I both feel very comfortable with marketplace dynamics and knowing which levers to pull to make sure you're growing supply and demand equally and at a pretty healthy clip. So had it not been for those experiences, I definitely think B2B marketplaces are super complicated. There's always like a different hole you have to plug. If we hadn't seen it and done it before firsthand, I think it would have been a lot more challenging. But I think that experience in particular really helped us scale. And then um, Main Street Hub, from just like a a sales training perspective and the founders there, I I learned a lot about just like how to build a repeatable sales engine. And so combining those few things, it's been just a formula I think at this stage.
0: Nice. I love that. And what about category creation? What are your views on category creation? And for you here, is this a category creation play or is it really just chipping away at and redefining that legacy category?
1: That's a good question. I think like we get asked all the time, like who are your biggest competitors? And it always feels like a a hard question to answer because I genuinely don't think we have a direct competitor. I think there's people who do parts of what we offer and maybe serve the same market, but in a different approach. And so when I think through Reposit and like group travel planners, I'm not saying that there's been absolutely no technology to try to help a planner's workflow or day-to-day, but there's nothing that's like streamlines it and pulls it all together. So like, for example, a day in the life, like, They get a new client request that comes in. They need to like create and track that project somewhere. Then they need to begin all their like vendor outreach, whether it's through RFPs or through like direct quote requests to their existing supplier base. They need quotes from hotels, from venues, from a caterer. They need some team building activities. They need transportation. It's a lot of moving pieces. They need to get those responses back, ask some questions, figure out who they want to book with. And they need to like pull all of that together into a proposal to send over to their client to like get final approval on and then a whole separate thing we do is just dealing with the hairy payments aspect of things because these B2B planners sit in the middle of two payment flows so they need to invoice their end client for the total summary of the trip value they need to collect that and then they need to like pay out the hotel pay out the activity provider pay out the transportation it's a lot of moving pieces. Everything I just described, they can do through a deposit. So like, are there other categories, going back to your original question, and solutions out there for building proposals and itineraries? Yes, but that's all they do. Are there like purely like travel payment solutions? Like, yes, but that's the only piece of the workflow they do. Are there other sites where they can go source for hotels? Like, yes, absolutely. But to like have to be on five or six different sites and have no way to pull the trip together and track everything in one place. I think that's really the core difference that Reposa brings to the table. So in a sense, I would say it's creating a new category. But yeah, that's my viewpoint on it. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question.
0: No, you definitely did. So super helpful to hear. Now, what about go-to-market challenges? I'm sure there's a long list of challenges that you faced so far, but if we had to pick one that you experienced and overcame, what would that be?
1: I think in the very beginning, we changed our product vision, I would say probably like maybe even after the the first seed round. So we set out at first to basically build like a CRM and workflow tool for group planners. We had no intention of building a marketplace. I think we were like, hey, Salesforce doesn't really work for these group planners. They don't have like a, a great way to like just see, track, and find through their existing relationships what they need. Let's build that. And I think that worked. It didn't scale the way that the marketplace did. We didn't have invitations like flowing back and forth. And all the planners kept coming to us and saying, like, how do I see the other hotels you work with? Or how do I see the other restaurants? Or I need to find a new transportation company. Mine went out of business during COVID. We just heard it enough times that we were like, wow, we really need an element of discover in here in a way for people to find and connect with new folks. And so I would say it was hard to build the business in a really big, like viral go to market way until we made that shift. And then that really changed everything. Since then it's it's taken off big time. And I'd say there's been, yeah, really no challenges, just like getting new people in front of it or onboard it.
0: Nice. That's amazing. One question I wanted to ask, which is more on the business side. So, uh, three weeks ago, TechCrunch came out with their article with the incredibly depressing numbers that women founded startups raised. It was like 1.9 or 2% of all funding in 2022. Like, what's going on? Um, I feel like, you know, we, uh, put a spotlight. Not right. Not right. (laughs) Four years ago. And I just don't understand how we've made like no progress. And I think it actually like declined. So. From your perspective, yeah. like, how do we change this and fix this? Because it just isn't right. And it just seems like it doesn't make any sense.
1: I know. I agree with you. And it's definitely, it's like frustrating and upsetting to see. And I, I feel fortunate that I do have a, a community through Forbes and other channels of like amazing kick-ass other women founders that I can always like lean on and, and go to and get support in. I think what we need to do is like make sure we have women in leadership roles so that they feel confident that they know like what they need to do to have the confidence to go out and start their own thing. I think that's the big thing. I was given a lot of trust and mentorship and leadership very early on in my career. I think I was director of sales at Main Street Hub. By the time I was 25, I had like a 120 person team under me. And so like I was able to build enough confidence that early on and then no, it wasn't a fluke, go do it again at Vettery, but like really from the ground up, build out the whole infrastructure that I knew I could go do it myself after that. Had I not had that like early belief in me or or leadership, and I'm so thankful to Matt and Andrew, the co-founders of Main Street Hub, and then Brett and Adam at Vettery for like just trusting in me and letting me prove that out. I don't think if I Had not been given like those opportunities that I would have had the like strength or conviction to know that I could go out and do this because starting a company is pretty hard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. And do you think this is going to get better? Do you think we're going to start to see these numbers increase at all? Or what else can we do to hopefully solve this and address this?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot more awareness around it today than there was like five or 10 years ago. I definitely think that's like a, a good step in the right direction. But again, I, I think it's on every company to make sure they're like, they're giving women really truly an equal shot and there aren't like removal of these kind of like biases in the workplace because it's, it's definitely, there's been challenges <laughs> through my career for sure. But yeah, I, I just, I think it's on all of us to like keep bringing it up and making it apparent.
0: Nice. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Last question for you before we wrap here. So what's the three-year vision for the company?
1: So I think we will literally be the platform that all of group travel operates on. That is our, our long-term vision is to fully move this like offline archaic industry from spreadsheets, from phone calls, from emails into one centralized database right now Um, We're really working on like refining our AI and our matching algorithm. And we're close to having the experience of you put in a project, you put in the dates, you put in the city, you put in the group size, you put in the audience, and we're able to serve up like almost a full itinerary of options for you. And so really taking like all of that, that manual aspect out of travel. And as we continue to collect all this data, our like end long-term vision is to have this like book now kind of functionality for group travel. Um, I think we're taking all the right steps to get there. And so big time goals and big time vision, but we want people to hear group travel and think
0: reposite. Amazing. I love that. And that's certainly an exciting vision. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go?
1: You can follow me on LinkedIn and then our website is just Reposit.io.
0: Awesome. Alexa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, talk about what you're building and share this vision. This is super exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on all of this and making it happen.
1: Cool. Thanks so much, Brett. I appreciate it.
0: No problem. Keep in touch.